Hi everyone, thanks so much. I think I know, I think I can confidently say I know what every single person in this room is thinking right now. Like, why do we need a second preach? <laughs> what? Um, you're not going to believe this, but there are some churches in Cape Town that actually don't believe women should preach. I mean, you might have heard that before, but Renee, that was fantastic. Where's Renee? Where's Renee? Which one? I honestly feel like if what I was doing wasn't helping set up the next four weeks that I would actually just say let's call it now because I don't know if any of you are listening carefully but, but we just heard a preach on the faithfulness of God, right? But it wasn't a preach, it was a story, but it was a preach and it came from a woman, don't tell other people. <laughs> Tim said a few things about me, but it, I find it helpful when you go into a new space. And just for all the first comers, there were f a few first timers in here. I visited this church in December. This is my second time here. Look at me now. So just. Believe, believe, come on. There's no here. But let me tell you a little bit about myself and my story because you're thinking, like, who's this weird guy with the mic? I also had quite a traumatic story growing up. Um, I was born into and raised by a family of lions. And then one day I became a Christian and God took away my pride. Okay, let's pray some more. <laughs> Creator God, thank you for this space, for this moment, for this time. We are not at church. We are church, and we're going to be church when we leave, and we're going to be church at work, and at home, and on the sports field, and around the tables, and at the drives, and in our relationships, but today we gather as church, and there's something exciting about the gathering of your people, and as Wellspring takes this next month to specifically look at this idea of what's your story of connection, of belonging, of inclusion of interdependence i want to lift them up to you i want to i want to acknowledge i want to declare i want to thank you that you have a church with leaders that see that as important that see that as crucial that don't see that as a saturday morning three-hour session but four weeks of sundays five weeks of sundays four weeks of life groups like this is going to be our journey for the next couple of weeks and so god i thank you for that and Holy Spirit, we just invite you to move freely in that space, to move freely in our hearts. The power of story, the power of relationships, bridge building. If there are any bridges that need to be built between people in this church and maybe between us and other people. We've heard the story of Justine and Renee and, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to give us that uncomfortable prodding make us phone up that person and invite them for coffee and invite them around for a meal we ask god that that the story we speak about today and over the next month will inform who we are for the rest of our lives in jesus name amen i spoke i did some what's your story stuff with hotlines on on friday and i'll touch on it a bit more at the end at, in stellenbosch it's incredible the invitation we've had to speak in that space and on Friday, we were with a bunch of um, staff from one of the specific faculties. They'd invited us in. 
And so going, we had a Zoom call during the week and what, one of my colleagues who is a, a, an older colored gentleman in the, or he's a pastor in the church in Somerset West, like he asked them right at the end, what's the dress code? And I was like, dude, what you doing? Um, and the one lady, professor, doctor, or whoever she was, she was like, no pluckies. That's all she said. And I was like, I really hope that's a joke. <laughs> and so on Friday, when I dressed up to go there, I, I, I wore my, my cool button shirt because I felt like that's a little bit formal. And if I formalize at the top, then maybe they won't notice that I'm wearing pluckies at the bottom. Because I'm allergic to shoes. My feet can't do shoes. And so this morning... Um, I, I had the same kind of thinking. I'm going into church space. I've been here before. I knew it was a lot more casual than Stellenbosch. Um, so I thought I should be, I, I should be okay. But, but I brought my shirt. And earlier, a bunch of us were hanging out in the garden and we're praying. And there's like 10 of us and we bow our heads. And I just spot like only two people are not wearing slip-slops. <laughs> so I feel like I'm at home here. And if it doesn't offend anyone, I'm actually going to take them off. Because the Bible tells us like holy ground and all that. Right? <laughs> So let me tell you three things that are part of the story, of my story, that for reals. And some already gave away one of them. Um, there's a board game called Settlers of Catan. It's a strategic board game. And in November last year, I was flown to Malta. And don't worry, I had to Google it. Um, this little island near Italy to go and compete in the World Catan Championships. It used to be called Settlers of Catan. They just call it Catan now for hopefully obvious reasons. Um, and at the end of day one, I was number one. Going into the semifinals, I was like the number one seed. And just the history of it is that we've sent two South Africans before that came 47th and 42nd. So I was feeling all right about that. And then I came second in my semifinals, so ended up being number seven in the world at this really meaningless thing. But anyway, <laughs> let's focus on the number seven in the world part. Secondly, my journey, I studied as a primary school teacher at the Cape Town College of Education, which doesn't exist anymore. I don't think I have anything to do with that. Um, but stepped straight into church, where I met Rowan. Um, he said something like 20 years ago, but that maths is frightening. Um, he, was, he was a Claremont Baptist. Uh, he was a Pinelands Baptist. I was a Claremont Baptist. So I finished my teaching study, but I, I went into youth ministry where I spent most of my life. Um, Claremont Baptist for about 10 years. Then I was at uh, Vineyard in Kenilworth. And then I moved to Stellenbosch, and I was at a vineyard church there for seven years, and then um, got married. My wife and I went overseas to, to work in some nonprofits in the States for three years, and then came back just around 10 years ago now, I guess. And about six or seven years ago, I got involved with Heartlines, which is, as Tim said, this values-based storytelling. And we basically create places for people to tell their stories. It's not about making up stories. It's like safe, hopefully uncomfortable places where you can share stories with each other, and hopefully build bridges along race. Um, we've got a program around money and values. And then our latest program is called Father's Matter. And we had six 25-minute movies that showed on SABC2. Did any of you see any of them? End of last year? Yeah, Renee. <laughs> You're my favorite person. Anyway. <laughs> um, and that's kind of, those are the programs that we're going into spaces, churches and schools and businesses and factories. We did a, a Father's Matter thing in a factory end of last year, talking about values and pointing people towards where our values come from, which is Jesus. And then I'm also part of something called the St. John's Leadership Academy. I just left my Anglican church from there. Um, <laughs> but don't tell them, because I haven't told them yet. Um, but on, yes, the first, the Sunday I came to visit here was my first church visiting a church outside of my church. Um, but the St. John's Leadership Academy is this amazing place where they are doing formation of young leaders that are 
maybe studying theologically, but are in different places. Some of them work full-time in the church, some of them are just in business and stuff. Learning how our faith relates to our world. And so it's been an absolute privilege to be part of that team, and they've done some amazing work. And then the last thing, the last cap, if I have caps, is that last year, last year, I think, two years ago, I was invited to be on the SCO, which is the Student Christian Organization National Executive. Don't know what that means, but I'm there. And the most beautiful thing about that place for me is that um, I think there's about 12 of us, and there's one white person and 11 black people. And it is the best space. I love it. Um, being in a space that, that, and obviously there's some people missing, um, but being in a space that, that in some ways feels like it represents South Africa a lot more than many of the spaces I find myself in in Cape Town. So that has been an amazing journey and a ride for me. SEO, when I went to Teachers Training College, was called SCA, the Students' Christian Association. It was a white organization. SCM was a black organization, Student Christian Movement. The year that I left college, like we had four years of journeying in that space, and the year after I left, SCA and SCM became SEO. And troubled, struggling, complicated, messy, but incredible that people are working in that space, trying to find each other and trying to make it work. So, so being in this space where you're trying to do this work and you're trying to find each other and build bridges and go deeper is, is completely on my heart. I love the opportunity to be the smallest part of this. And I'm so excited about the work that you're going to be doing over the next four or five weeks and beyond. But those are just three, oh, those are two things about me. There's a third thing about me that two years ago, um, during year two of pandemic, um, in March, my wife of 12 years um, decided that she needed to move out and think about some things. And six months later, she sent me a 20-page letter, and turns out the things she had been thinking about were that we shouldn't be married anymore. And so my last year in March, officially my marriage was ended. And that is a very big part of my story, and it's been the two worst years or two hardest years of my life. And just listening to, to Renee's story and just some of the healing and the turning around in that, like this January for me, I was just thinking, like I haven't had this thought before, but this January for me feels like it wiped out the last two years. In terms of opportunity, in terms of this hotline stuff, in terms of community, in terms of hopes for this year, in terms of seeing God answer prayer that I pray because I, I know prayer is a good thing but don't really kind of believe it and then you pray and you see God answering and so you pray more and God answers more and you're like, oh wait, actually maybe we should be praying. Um, God, is, God is a God that puts things back together and doesn't fix it. It's not going to go back to where it was. But there's this healing process and this journey and I hope, I hope that it's helpful to have people standing at the front and saying like things don't work out sometimes. Um, to hand divorced people the mic in a church is quite a big deal. I mean, some churches. And so it's really amazing. So those are three aspects of my life. Stories matter and are powerful. What have I told you? I told you some of my game skills. I told you some of my Jesus-following credentials. I told you some pain, some struggle, maybe for some of you, some relatability. But let's hear from you some other reasons. Why do you think Stories are important. Let's throw out some stuff. Like, actually, say things. Sorry? Insight. Insight. Cool, what else? The start of healing. Mm. The start of healing. The alternative Sorry? I said the alternative could be a stereotype. The alternative could be a stereotype. So storytelling helps break stereotypes and um, prejudices. 
maybe. Connects people. Was there one at the back there? What I missed? A sense of belonging. Sure. Stories can take really complicated ideas and make them simpler or easier for us to grasp. So you take something like the Trinity and it's compared to water because water can be ice and steam and liquid. And that's not true and God isn't like water. But I can start to understand how something can be in three different forms and be the same thing. And so I can start to understand this Trinity, which is such a complex idea. And it's like, okay, I don't fully get it. But the story has given me an idea, something that I can hold on to. And so stories often take really complicated ideas or really complicated situations. So I told you about that SCA-SCM combination thing. On the one conference, maybe the year before we joined up, we met together as a black group and as a white Christian group. And in the morning, we had worship together. We had a speaker, Jorge, from Colombia. And things were incredible. And then in the evenings, we met as the leaders of these organizations, and we argued about how worship will never work between black people and white people. <laughs> so in the morning, we worshiped together as black people and white people. <laughs> And then we got into a conversation and gave all the reasons why it can't work. <laughs> Story takes things that are complicated and gives us something to point at. Like, it's working, guys. This, this is how we do it. So it's so many things that you've mentioned. They can make us feel good. They can help us understand. They can connect us. They can reconcile us and bring healing. They can help break prejudices. Another big thing, why is stories important? Jesus told stories. You should probably pay attention. Jesus told stories to make difficult things, um, difficult things easy. Jesus also told stories to make simple things complicated. Many times the crowd were like, what just happened there? And sometimes the disciples were like, what just happened there? And sometimes we get new understandings today of parables that we've held on to our whole life. And we believed it meant this thing. And then you look at it, the story of uh, the landlord, I think. And they describe the... The, the person that you've always attributed as God, and you read the story, and this person is vengeful and spiteful, and, and you look deep in the story and you go, well, maybe that's not God. Maybe there's a different way of viewing this thing. And so sometimes it's the story is put out there, and Jesus is okay that we continue to wrestle with these things. Jesus lets the rich young ruler walk away. Jesus doesn't follow him and say, wait, let me make it more easier, more comfortable, I'll come back. Jesus allows us to live in the discomfort. And we need to embrace that. How about one more? This is from Revelation 12. It's a whole passage, but verse 11. They overcame him. And we're talking about the devil, the enemy. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Why are stories important? Defeating Satan. It's quite a good one. What are the two things in that story? I find that... that I've never heard, well, I don't hear people preach on this passage, but I've, I've always found that particularly powerful. The blood of the Lamb, what Jesus did for us, and the word of their testimony, what Jesus does in us. That's how the enemy is defeated, what Jesus does for us and what Jesus does in us. The power of our stories is what defeats the enemy. Like, let's, let's not rush on from that point. Like, do we believe that? Justine reminded me on the call as we were talking towards this week that you can argue against my theology, but you can't argue against my story. You can't take my story away. I may, I may misinterpret some stuff. I may understand things wrong, but
but the story of what God has done in my life, the story of the change. Just listening to Renee, I was in that place, I was running away from God. I feel like we have a story in here about that. Um, you got off lucky. Um, Jonah and, and this idea of, of having a whole life transformed. There's power in there. You can argue about my theology, you can't take away my story. Our Jesus stories invite people in. Tim mentioned my podcast, so two years ago I think I started, I've had three seasons of about seven episodes. It's called Out of the Fishbowl, go look for it everywhere you find podcasts. And maybe it's helpful, well let me get to that in a moment, but I, I intentionally did not want to do a Christian podcast. Because I engage a lot on social media, I engage with a variety, as wide a variety of people as I can. And the hope was to, to reach and connect with and engage with as many people as possible. You make something Christian, sometimes you exclude people. So I intentionally set out that this is not a Christian podcast. And yet, after season one, seven episodes, I found that I'd spoken more about Jesus than if I'd made it a Christian podcast. Because it was about my life, and Jesus is the most important thing in my life. So I'm not going to speak about, I speak about love, um, I speak about friendship, I speak about um, the importance of representation, um, I speak about the importance of different voices in our lives, diversity, inclusion, belonging, all of those kind of things. Jesus is in the middle of all of those. And so what was interesting for me, most interesting, and maybe it's helpful to say I've got this tattoo, so you're letting a tattoo divorce guy speak. Um, ooh, you guys are going to get it. Um, my nickname is Fish, and it stands for Faithful in Serving Him. And so when I say I, I wanted it to intentionally not be a Christian podcast, it's there in the title, Out of the Fishbowl. And so everything I do, hopefully, at some point is connected to Jesus and trying to point people to Jesus and, and go there. But I, I'm friends with someone called Megan that I've done improv comedy with. That's another thing that I do. I've been doing it for 20 years, Cape Town's longest running show. Um, and Megan hates Christians, let's be honest. Like, she hates the church, she hates... She's Jewish by, by birth, but not particularly religious, but really not into Christians. And the fact that we have a strong friendship 20 years later is an absolute miracle. And she once wrote a piece on my blog where she was praising me about all these things, and then there was a, a paragraph, the moment Brett speaks about God, I turn off and uh, get really angry or something like that. But Megan was listening to this podcast series and liking every episode. And we got through six episodes, and I was driving with a friend of my sister's, and I was talking about the next one that was coming. And episode seven is called All You Need Is Love. And it is pretty much, if you want to use the theological terms, an exegesis or an unpacking of 1 Corinthians 13. Like that whole pod podcast is 1 Corinthians 13. You can't get more Bible in Jesus than what happened in that time. So I was telling this friend of my sister's, I was like telling her the story of Megan. It's been so amazing. I talked about Jesus, but she's loving the episodes. Like, what is that? But this next one, she's not going to take. Like, we, did, we had a good run. Um, and then a few days later, Megan shared the episode, said this is a cute story, or this is cute, or whatever. Like, there was a positive affirmation of something that would normally have put Megan right off. And what I discovered with that and with interactions that I had on Twitter with people that were following and listening is that there were Muslims and there were atheists and there were witches and all sorts of different people that were engaging with this podcast because I wasn't preaching at people, I was telling my story. And how Jesus is important to me doesn't make you as uncomfortable as me saying, hey, you need Jesus otherwise. But it's the same message, actually. Our Jesus stories invite people in. I have so many favorite passages in the Bible, I really love this, and if you ever want to this is a terrible way of saying this. Hopefully you'll understand what I mean. If you ever want to be a better Christian, 
ask God to give you a desire for his word. Don't try to read the Bible more. Don't, don't read the Bible at all. Just pray, God, make me want to read the Bible. Because that will change your life. Renee spoke about the danger of praying things. Um, but God has given me such a desire for this. And the longer I am a Christian, the more complicated it gets. The Old Testament is very difficult. I've been reading through Joshua and Judges, and there's war and violence that I really struggle with, which I think is okay. I think if we just go, no, it's fine, that's God. That's not okay. If we go, okay, how does a loving God go and decimate a whole nation of people? I think that's a better way to engage with it. And I don't have answers, so. But, but one of my favorite, favorite stories, I have so many, is this, this picture, this passage in Acts 2 that speaks of the early church, where this guy who was a fisherman, who had no formal education, who was the last guy you give the mic to, because of the fact that the guy he was about to speak about was the guy he denied and betrayed and tried to, like, do the opposite of every time, chopping off people's ears and falling and, like, sinking in oceans and all those kind of things. This guy, Peter, gets up and some change has happened in him and he preaches and 3,000 people are added to their number that day. There's no covering church. There weren't enough people to disciple all those people, so Peter stopped preaching because what if they get saved? Who's going to look after them? They had this thing called the Holy Spirit, which was great. Um, and this is the story that follows directly. The verse before, those who accepted his message were baptized and 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. No program, no outreach, no mission, just people being church. In the temple and at home. This is church and that's church. Because it's us. And as we are churching, as we are following Jesus, as we're doing this stuff, people look at it and they go, that community is wild. They care for poor people. They look after widows. They, there's something there. I want to be part of that. They, they, they make a difference. They critique government. They critique the powers that be. They critique their own religious leaders. They challenge them to, to live out what they say they believe. So this story inspired me. And when I was living in Stellenbosch, this idea of community, this passage just grabbed me. And about 18 months, I think, before I got married, I moved into Kaimandi, which is a township on the edge of Stellenbosch, because I was hungry for what this kind of community looks like in South Africa. I was hoping to learn Isitosa a lot better. But at the time, at that time, I've, I met my wife who lived in Cape Town, and so I did not spend as much time in Kaimandi as I was hoping to. Um, but just the sense of, of this passage transformed my life. It sent me into places. It got me thinking about things. It got me challenging the idea of what does church mean. And people always, when you bring this up, they go, yeah, but that was then. We can't do that now. And I'm like, it was really working then. And we still have homes, and we still have some kind of temple type structures. Like, let's keep going there and find out what from there can work now. Because what we're doing a lot at the moment doesn't seem to be working across the world. So maybe we need to go try things we think won't work. In the context of South Africa, our stories are so important. 
And they should not be separated from this idea that we are Jesus followers. That's something separate to the fact that we live in South Africa. Jesus spoke to his context. He came down, God amongst us, Emmanuel, and spoke to the context using stories of fish and of farming and of the things that they could see around them. Context is important. And so how many of you have visited the District 6 Museum? How many of you have spent time on Robben Island? How many of you have been to, and this is one of the most amazing places, the Desmond and Leah Tutu Legacy Foundation. Have any of you been there? It's this little known space in town. Maybe you should organize a, a church visit, but that space is phenomenal in terms of understanding a little bit of the story of the country, understanding why some people may feel the way they do, may hold themselves the way they are. And then there's a book called How Can Man Die Better, which is the story of Robert Sabukwe, who I never knew. And when I went to go visit Robert Island, uh, Robert Island we, we got to see the place where he was and we learned about this leader that South Africa missed out on. So we all know Mandela and we know Robert Sabukwe because there's a road named after him and that was about all I knew. And I dived into this book and I was blown away by this leader that South Africa lost the chance of being led by. Um, and so we need to understand the context so that our faith can be more genuine and real. But also it's important that we create safe spaces. And I don't want to confuse safe spaces with comfortable spaces. Because they will be uncomfortable. If we're talking about race and gender and ageism and whatever, we can add to that list. It's going to be uncomfortable if we ever want to get anywhere. If we ever want to move past it. And so it's so amazing having the story of Justine and Renee modeled here already. Like I was praying that God would remove this woman from my team. <laughs> and now I'm introducing this woman and her story and inviting you to listen to her story. If you told Justine that she was going to do that week one, she would have been like, no way. <laughs> so it's important we create safe spaces for sharing and for listening to stories, especially in diverse spaces. This is the aim of this series that you guys are doing for the next couple of weeks that I was given. Let me read it to you. To build relational depth inside Wellspring. To ensure every member feels seen, heard, known, and loved. This series forms part of our strategy to deepen belonging and inclusion inside Wellspring. And so if five weeks from now you are part of this community and you're not feeling those things, go and chat to your leaders. But that is very exciting for a community to say, that's our commitment. For the next couple of weeks, we're leaning into that stuff. That's important. Because most churches, it would maybe be a preacher, or it would be a, an extra week thing, or do this in your life groups. It's like, no, we're stopping the program, or we're altering the program. This is the program for the next couple, couple weeks. And I want to say to you, because the invitation was given, but I want to encourage you that if you're not part of a life group, this is where the church is journeying over the next four weeks. And so if you only sign up for four weeks, this is a great time to step into that. Just make a four-week commitment. That's a lot easier than join us for the rest of your life. And, and you can leave afterwards. But you'll probably find you may not want to. Three values that we hold to at Heartlines with regards to our storytelling, which play into this stuff. Understanding, trust, and respect. When we talk about understanding, we talk about being sympathetically aware of other people's feelings. We talk about being tolerant, forgiving, and compassionate. But also, I want to add to that, because I, I, that's kind of from the values that I read. And when I see the word tolerance, I remember a preach that I heard in the States, which was so phenomenal where this Asian-American guy got up and spoke about the fact that we need to be intolerant as well. Because if you believe in a clean place, then you are intolerant towards litter. 
And if you believe in a united society, then you are intolerant towards racism and misogyny and those things. And so intolerance, if you have the picture of Jesus walking through the temples, throwing tables, making whips, like there's an intolerance towards the things that stand against what this space was meant to be. This is meant to be our house of prayer. How dare you? How dare you hurt the most vulnerable and the marginalized? How dare you? And then go in there and think of how holy you are and sing the songs and pray the prayers. We need to, to understand people. We need to develop some form of intolerance. Trust, a firm belief in the reliability, truth, or ability of someone or something. It's about vulnerability. If we don't get vulnerable, and in the weeks that follow, you're not going to be forced to do anything, but there's going to be a lot of opportunities for you to tell your story. And as vulnerable as you choose to go, it invites vulnerability from other people. Vulnerability is scary, but when it's reciprocated, the level of relationship that's left at the end is so much more powerful. So I want to invite you into, in, into vulnerability. And then respect, having due regard or concerns for the feelings, wishes, or rights of others. We live in a world that constantly puts the focus on us and says it's about me and I need to be comfortable and I need to be okay and my family needs to be good. And I love the word interdependence that messes with that. So close to the independence we all grew up with. But interdependence, I am because you are. A village raises a child. All these African proverbs we should be listening to that talk about what we could be and who we could be. And so the gospel story, and when I talk gospel, I mean how to live well here and now. Often the gospel in church has been about what happens when we die. And what Jesus was all about, if you look at him clearly and carefully, how to live well here and now. If you do that, what happens later will be taken care of. You don't even have to stress about it. You probably don't even have to think about it. How do we live well? And how do we seek justice for those, especially those who justice hasn't been given to? And so the gospel story is powerful because it reflects the key call to love God and to love our neighbors. This is one you definitely will know. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then one of the most powerful lines in the Bible, which I think a lot of people miss. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Every piece of scripture or theology that you've known up to this point hangs on two things. Famous story about a rabbi asked to sum up the Bible in four words. Love God, love people. All the rest is commentary. The essence of loving our neighbors, ourselves. And what I love about this passage, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And then, like if you've loved God with all the things, there should be nothing left. Right? Mathematically speaking. Jesus is asked for one commandment. He gives two commandments. Or does he give one commandment? Because if I'm loving God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, that will be seen in the way that I treat my neighbor. Yes. And if I'm loving my neighbor as myself, that will be experienced as worship of God. There's one commandment. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor with everything. The power of God enables us to love our neighbor as well. And then the last passage I want to read yeah, I, I'll just keep saying they're all my favorites. 
Luke 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We had this idea in the church of asking Jesus into our hearts. And while it sounded nice, I don't know if anyone ever knew what it meant. Like, as kids, that's not helpful. I don't think. But it's not asking Jesus into your heart. It's asking Jesus into your life. Because if you ask Jesus into your heart, it's quite boxy and quite small and quite contained. And then you can just kind of go and live life as you want. But if you invite Jesus into your life, then your attitude to your parents or the feelings you have towards that colleague that you're really not getting on well with or that person that burnt you in a relationship. Where does God fit into there? Where does forgiveness and grace and compassion and bridge building and all of that fit in there? We're called to invite Jesus into our life. We're called to invite the Holy Spirit to inspire us and nudge us every day to live out the life that Jesus lived out. He called us to walk like Him. The body of Christ, we are as if Jesus was physically here today. We are the physical representation. When people look at us, they're meant to see Christ. Corinthians talks about we leave behind us the fragrance of Christ. Like when you leave a room, do, do people go like, wow, Jesus was here. There's something about like God was in the space. Like the, the, the love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like the fruits of the Spirit are left behind and fruit has this amazing smell that just entices us and calls us in. Because if those are the fruits of that person, how do I get those fruits in my life? Okay, let's get a little bit uncomfortable as I head towards the end. Close your eyes, please. Think of one moment in this past week that put a smile on your face. Big or small. It can be something really big, it can be something really small. Something that you're okay with saying to somebody else. And then you can open your eyes and I want you to turn to someone near you and, and maybe turn behind you so it's not necessarily the person you came with, but if, if it has to be the person you came with, that's fine. Then I want you to just take a minute, 30 seconds each, to share your moment with another person. If you're sitting in a threesome and you can't reach another tutus, just, just figure it out. It's going to be a little bit messy. Turn to somebody, share one, share that thing that made you smile this week, and then listen to their thing that made them smile. And go. <laughs> The What's Your Story program for Heartlines has this as its tagline. You know my name, but you, do you know my story? And as you hear that, I want you to think, think to somebody in your life. Think to somebody at, at work, at school, somebody in front of a shop that you go in read, or regularly, or a cashier or somebody, where maybe you've known that person for three years, or five years, or ten years, or twenty years, and you've seen them around, and maybe the only thing you know about them is their name. I was at Westford High School, and thousand years ago and there was a guy called Buddy who used to be in charge of the ground staff. He used to keep the school clean and I was at Westford for five years and the only thing I know is that there was a guy called Buddy who used to clean our school. I never took a moment to find out any of his story and he's dead now so I can't go do that. There are people that we see every day and we, we prejudge and we have ideas of who that person is and oh, they're that person, they, they do that thing. We don't know the pain that they carry. 
We don't know the celebrations that they want to share with people. We don't know the excitement about family members that will resonate with the stories that we have with our family members. You know my name, but do you know my story? And the homework this week is to find one person like that and just ask a question. You don't find out their whole story. But like, hey, tell me about your family. Tell me about your name. Where does that come from? Tell me, do you enjoy working here? Let's start making that a more regular part of our lives. Going back to the gospel, and I'm going to wrap up now, the greatest command of Jesus. We love our neighbors well by listening to their stories, by acknowledging their stories, by seeing them, and by being willing to interrupt our story. Let me say that again. We love our neighbors well by listening to their story, by acknowledging their story, by seeing them, and by being willing to interrupt our story. To wrap this up, I just want to look at the, a simple framework which is going to serve you well over the next few weeks. Three words that we use at Heartlines to do the storytelling stuff, and this is not rocket science. Ask, listen, tell. When I ask someone their story, I'm seeking first to understand. I'm being courageous enough to go one step deeper with the people that I interact with on a daily basis. Listening acknowledges that everyone has a story to tell and has a story that's worth sharing. And it acknowledges the humanity of another person. One of the worst phrases in the world is talking about people who have no voices. People are silenced, but everyone has a voice. And so we can't speak on behalf of people, we can't give people voices, we can create spaces where their voices can be heard. And listening is so important. And then finally, telling is our way of letting other people into our, our lives in order to help them to understand us a bit better. And as my colleague reminded me on Friday, it doesn't go in order. It's not ask, listen, and tell. Sometimes somebody will start by telling you something, and you have to listen. And then you might ask some clarifying questions or ask something to get to know a bit more. Sometimes it will start with asking. And then maybe somebody will tell and then you listen. Like it's not, it's not a cycle. It's just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And hopefully you're both sharing your stories and you're listening to each other. And so let's make it a habit to ask and listen to stories and to tell ours in our daily life. Find spaces, find moments, slow down the busyness of life to sit with someone and say, hey, and especially old people. I can't tell you the most amazing things. My dad is such a character and he got up to all this crazy stuff. He was a pastor before he retired and every now and then we're having this dinner table thing and he tells a story that I haven't heard and it's just like what the heck that, that explains me a little bit more <laughs> um, but old people have a lot of stories and most of the time we don't care about them and they know that we don't care about them but we will be blown away when we sit and hear the story of our country told through the, the voices of old people and we have to be aware that sometimes asking someone to tell their story is a cost for them so we need to be sensitive but find ways and places to make this happen in our daily life. Let's embrace this. The last thing I want to do is just share the story that happened on Friday. So, um, not Friday. We've been invited as Heartlines to work with um, Stellenbosch University. And so two weeks ago, um, we went to go and work with, on a Saturday from 9 to 3, we went to go work with what was meant to be 70 hostile, not hostile, um, hostile res kids. The hakas, the mentors, the leaders in the hostels. When we got there, we had 110 of them, and we spent the whole day with them. Right at the end of the day, 
our team, we had a team of eight people, we were each invited to share one piece from our reflections of the day. And the thing that I shared was this. Last year, I lived in Deep River. I mean, I live in Deep River, that's where I live, but sharing with this group. Last year, I lived in Deep River. The only image that I had of Stellenbosch was of a white kid pissing on a black kid's stuff. The first thing that I saw when I walked into this hall, as the kids started arriving, I was on the one end of the hall, and I saw this um, black woman student come in from the far side of the hall, work her way through all the people, and come to this front table where there was a white girl sitting, came up behind her and gave her this body hug. And that doesn't mean that things are okay in Stellenbosch, and it doesn't mean that it's not complicated and it's not messy. But those are the two images I had. We had such an incredible day with those 110 people, and if those 110 could be put in charge of Stellenbosch tomorrow, the world would end up being a better place. Imagine if Stellenbosch could be the place that ended up transforming all the other institutions. Imagine if South Africa could be the place that transformed the world on race stuff. Like, that is how God works. Because if you look at who should be disqualified to teach the world about race, it's South Africa. And yet God goes, no, no, in my kingdom, that's how it works, actually. The first will be last, and we'll serve each other in love. And, and the power of story. I don't know what's going to happen in Stellenbosch. Over the next two months, we've got the opportunity, hopefully, to go back and do the story sharing with another 250 young people. We did it with this faculty on Friday. At the end, we did a last word, last sentence checkout for the day. We had 20 women in the room, and about half of them, as part of their story was, I didn't want to be here today. They called it an intervention, which is not a great, a great phrase for it. And it was because their staff needed an intervention. Every single one of them. The one lady was driving in, like, I don't want to be here. It's going to be a waste of time. One of the ladies was the lady that invited us in there. <laughs> because they'd had interventions that had gone really, really badly. Saturday, they could not have been happier. The transformation that took place, the stories that happened. We had two women who joined on the 1st of February. Like, they'd been in the organization for three days. And in terms of seeing them become fully a part of the team just in one day, it was phenomenal. The lady who runs that faculty runs four different faculties, and she's already wanting us to go back and do that. And so Heartlands has this invitation to go and touch this narrative that for so long has been so destructive and so painful. And maybe we don't change the whole story. Maybe we can't hope that it's going to change overnight. But what if the narrative could be shifted? What if we sow things today that 20 years down the line mean that... <laughs> Black kids can feel the freedom of their stuff not being pissed on. Like, that is a very low bar. But what if, through the power of stories, we start seeing the rainbow that we were promised, but that never got delivered? The image is not a bad image. It's just that no work was ever done to get us there. This image of a rainbow nation is the most beautiful end point where we don't need to care about race, where we can just live with each other, and we can just all be friends and, and love each other well. But until we deal with the stuff, we need to realize that we've got to have those hard conversations. And the last thing, I've already told your story so many times this week. So many times, because I'm so excited by the work that you have said as a church we're going to do here. And so I've told people on Sunday I'm going to be this little part of this thing, and they are doing this amazing stuff. Your story is already out there, so you better make it a good one. <laughs> we love our neighbors by hearing their stories and inviting them to hear us. Let's pray. Shine your light 
and let the whole world see. We're living for the glory of the risen King. Let's not let those words be words on a wall. We've already said them once today. We've sung them. We've declared them. Shine your light and let the whole world see it. We're living for the glory of the risen King. Creator God, I thank you for the community of Wellspring and for everybody that they will come into contact with for these next four weeks. Holy Spirit, your story is the light we need reflecting out of our lives. And so I just pray that people will be so open and so hungry and so excited that nobody will be need, needing to be convinced that we'll need bigger houses to house these life groups. Thank you for the journey that has already been embarked on. And I just commit this community to you in Jesus' name. Amen.